Communist China's economy is in freefall, and the impending collapse threatens to undermine the Chinese Communist Party's grip on power. China's economic woes, however, present a huge opportunity for both America and the people of China. The United States and the West can and must act now to make sure that the CCP falls. We can do it without firing a shot, freeing the people of China and the world from the oppression and the aggressive, destructive plans of the CCP. Plus, a Colorado school tries to eject a student from class for having a Gadsden flag patch on his backpack. Minnesota Governor Tim Wall seems to be gearing up for a potential White House bid. And CNN promotes the LGBTQIA plus minus ampersand whatever agenda through a blatantly misleading headline. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Communist China's economy is in big trouble. China's property sector is crashing, and almost every important economic marker is pointing downward. What started this spring as a downturn is quickly becoming something far worse. Experts are even using the word contagion, signifying the spread of China's economic crisis to other markets. Some have even invoked the specter of the Soviet Union's final epic economic crash in the late 1980s. And like the communists in the Kremlin, the fate of President Xi Jinping and his Chinese Communist Party are inexorably tied to the economy that they manage with an iron fist. The death of the Chinese economy means the end of Xi Jinping and the collapse of the CCP. In other words, all freedom-loving people should see this as an opportunity to rid the world of the evil, murderous scourge known as the CCP. We must take this opportunity to ensure the CCP's downfall. The lives of countless people are at stake in China and around the world. So, what exactly is happening to the Chinese economy? Well, for decades, the CCP has pursued an aggressive economic growth strategy, relying heavily on exports and urbanization to drive up their GDP. As in the Soviet Union, urbanization, even forced urbanization, was for a long time a priority. It is far easier to control and indoctrinate people when they are herded by the millions into small areas. Naturally, building projects, especially housing, were very important. Jobs of all kinds related to construction sprung up out of the ground and economic growth abounded. To this day, real estate makes up over a quarter of the whole Chinese economy. Over time, the builders borrowed more and more money to finance more and more projects. The CCP regulators allowed this, even encouraged it, and pushed it forward through all sorts of government policies, all in the name of economic growth and urban progress. Over time, these builders, these developers, became massive companies, operating not in a free market, but in a market heavily controlled by the CCP. And while these builders are not directly owned by the CCP, the party pulls the strings. Take Evergrande, for example. Until recently, it was the second largest property developer in China. The founder of Evergrande Group is a man named Xu Jiayin. He admitted that he was proud to be the Communist Party secretary of Evergrande and that the CCP gave Evergrande everything it had. I guess he means when the company was formed. Technically, Evergrande is a private company, but the party still controls it. The CCP routinely forces companies to seat party members on their boards or turn senior board members into party followers. Large companies have internal party committees and party liaisons, ensuring that the CCP can direct the company's efforts if need be. Before long, these quasi-private developers were in debt to their eyeballs to the point that people are paying monthly mortgages on buildings that haven't even been built yet or are just partially completed. They are paying mortgages for the promise to build a property. As you can probably see, this scheme only works if demand is high and prices don't fall. If either of those things happens too much, the bill will come due and there won't be money to pay it. It's basically a giant Ponzi scheme. Well, this went on for decades, helping to prop up all those eye-popping GDP growth numbers we have seen from China, staying above 7.7% from 1991 through 2013. Keep in mind that includes the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009. 
Of course, we should note that the CCP isn't exactly good about telling the truth when it comes to economic statistics or really anything else. So those high growth numbers reported by official Chinese sources have always been inflated. Some say by as much as 100%. But thanks to artificial policy stimulus into the real estate and export production sectors, China's economy was growing rapidly, though not as fast perhaps as the official numbers indicated. Well, then came 2020. The CCP was worried that limited housing supply caused by COVID and the lockdowns, which construction pretty much stopped, with construction pretty much stopped, would send real estate prices to the moon, followed by a massive collapse, something the CCP cannot afford. They couldn't let a housing bubble destroy their building scheme, so they intervened drastically and cracked down on the risky loans and lending behavior in the property market. Suddenly, the developers were short on cash. In the last three years, 50 of them have defaulted, according to S&P. In 2021, the massive developer Evergrande defaulted. Their debt alone surged to nearly 2.5 trillion yen, or $340 billion, by the end of 2022. That's about 2% of the entire China GDP. Last month, they finally released their much-delayed filings, which showed their losses at $81 billion for 2021 and 2022 combined. They very recently filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy protection here in the United States, and they are still in negotiations with their creditors. Another CCP real estate giant, Country Garden, missed two bond payments this month and reported a massive 1.4 trillion yen, or about $194 billion, debt at the end of 2022. The company's stock fell almost 10% to a record low earlier this month when it reported a $7.6 billion loss for the first half of 2023. Its credit rating was also cut by just about every rating agency. Default is expected. New home sales in China are now falling off a cliff. In July, new home sales at China's 100 biggest developers fell 33% from last year. In June, it was down 28%, according to the China Real Estate Information Corporation. Again, the actual statistics are probably much worse than the statistics that they're actually reporting out. But China's economic collapse isn't just about homes. In fact, the whole Chinese economy has fallen into deflation. Their consumer price index fell by 0.3% in July, the first decrease in two years, according to China's National Bureau of Statistics. Again, the actual figure is probably much worse. Well, this is a definite sign of falling demand. Just look at the drop in both Chinese exports and imports last month. Exports fell by 14.5%, the largest decline since early 2020, and imports fell by 12.5%. Note the two-year downward trend. Demand is, demand is falling everywhere. Not good, not good for an economy that needs demand for its exports to stay afloat. Even regular retail sales are suffering, rising just 2.5%, a full 2% below the forecasted 4.5%, even though it is summer travel season, according to Reuters. And again, the real statistics are almost certainly far worse than the reported ones. Reuters quoted an economic analyst from the Nomura Group after the CCP cut some interest rates recently. Quote, We believe the Chinese economy is faced with an imminent downward spiral with the worst yet to come, and the rate cut this morning will be of limited help. Well, that sentiment is spreading. Over in Hong Kong, whose index lists many of China's largest companies, a bear market has set in. Stocks are down 21% since a high in January, and investors have taken almost $8 billion out of Chinese stocks. Back in mainland China proper, as of mid-August, the MSCI China index has fallen a whopping 43% since the end of 2020. Compare that to a 19% gain for the U.S. S&P 500 index over the same time frame. And then there is this. China simply stopped publishing youth jobless data, which hit a record high of 21.3% in June. They have made it a state secret. All those construction jobs, they're just gone. And factory jobs, they're going away too. As many have said of China these days, the borrow-to-build model works only as long as demand and prices stay high. I would add this, government-planned economies never work. 
They can push artificial economic growth for a while, but eventually government planning means that certain parts of the economy become overinvested while other parts are underinvested, and eventually everything collapses. Now remember the contagion that some have mentioned when referencing China's economy? Well, that's very real. Defaults at property developers have spread to China's $2.9 trillion investment trust industry. Zhongrong Trust and its $87 billion worth of managed funds failed to repay investors at four different companies, maybe more, to the tune of around $19 million, according to CNN. Dark economic days for the CCP. But what does this really mean? Well, does this all really mean the end of the Chaicoms? Well, think back to the Tiananmen Square massacre. Open protests are not something that the CCP tolerates. Yet, that is exactly what people in China have been doing as of late. In February of this year, Thousands of retirees openly demonstrated against cutbacks in healthcare and other items near Wuhan. Local Chinese governments are drowning in debt and are losing their ability to provide basic services. These local governments use local government funding vehicles, or LGFVs, to fund their work. It's another scheme based on rising land and real estate prices. So, okay, so these LGFVs borrow money by selling bonds and they fund urban develop- development projects. Those projects then increase the value of surrounding land that's owned by the local government. And then the local government sells that land use rights for that land. uh, And the land is more valuable because of the project in the middle of it. Then they they can pay back their loans and make money to begin more projects and further enhance the value of land and then sell more land use rights at higher prices and et cetera. Sounds good, right? Well, except not when the property sector of the economy crashes. And that's because, as you probably just noticed, it's just another sort of Ponzi scheme. Well, thousands of retirees are paying the cost of decades of relentless borrowing, and they are mad. This time, they are not afraid to show it. Rewind back to the end of last year. The Chinese people had had enough of the ridiculous zero-tolerance COVID lockdowns. They took to the streets by the thousands all across China. The K-Asia called it the, quote, biggest act of resistance in decades. Clearly, the Chinese people are losing their fear of the all-powerful Chinese Communist Party. You know, they were even calling for the CCP to step down. What will happen when local governments across China cannot provide the services the people in those areas are used to? Well, we're about to find out because all those local governments are in a heap of trouble. Total local government debt in China is thought to be somewhere around $17 trillion, around the same size as China's entire GDP. And a large part of that debt is short-term payable debt, probably around a trillion dollars of it. But this doesn't include hidden debt. According to Nikkei Asia, trillions of dollars in local government borrowings take the form of hidden debt which the state council defined in 2018 as separate from on-budget borrowings, but carrying at least an implicit guarantee of repayment using government funds or some illegal backing. No one knows how massive the debt mountain really is, probably not even the CCP itself. Even worse is the estimate by UBS that over 80% of China's local government funding vehicles don't have enough money on hand to cover the interest payments on their debt. In other words, local governments are going to be cutting back on services all over China before too long. No matter how you cut it, the Chinese economy is teetering on the edge. So all we need to do is push it over. The Chinese people will do the rest. But before we get into that, we need to get something straight. We must always be very clear on this. The Chinese people, they are not the enemy. The Chinese people are our allies. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is the enemy. The enemy of the United States and the enemy of the Chinese people. And the CCP is an enemy that will eventually require all of our might and effort to defeat. Make no mistake, dictator Xi Jinping and his Communist Party want to destroy us, along with freedom and even free will. They will do in the long term anything that is necessary to place the United States and the entire Western world under their sway. Now, that might not mean invasion and physical conquering, or it might. Their goal is to ensure that no one can influence their designs on the planet. 
and we have seen what those designs are. Just look at their massive gulag system, the genocide happening within it, and their ruthless treatment of anyone who dares challenge them. Look at the Belt and Road Initiative and how the CCP takes what it wants from those mostly poor nations and leaves them in financial ruin. And look at how cheaply the CCP values the lives of China's people. People are disappeared or killed on a whim. Individual lives do not matter to the CCP. The ends always justify the means for dictator Xi and the CCP. The Chinese people live in constant fear. Every word, online interaction, purchase, and travel plan is monitored for anything that the CCP deems a threat. One slip and your social credit score falls. No more travel for you. Everyone is one sentence or one keystroke away from being disappeared to the gulags, especially if you start talking about religion. The CCP is the only authority in China. No others are allowed, not even God. And that complete rejection of God and his word is what opened the door to all the horror that we see within the CCP. We cannot let this type of evil roam the world unchallenged. We must stop it now before they are too strong, before it is too late. Right now, we can do just that. We can stop them, likely without firing a shot. The Chinese people are upset. Many are risking the gulags and even death to voice their displeasure about the CCP, its COVID policies, and the economic chaos that is brewing. We need to connect with them and let them know we are on their side. Sure, some of them have been indoctrinated and may not listen, but most will. Hundreds of millions will. Our government should be orchestrating a massive PR front within China aimed at those most impacted by the CCP's ills. Focus on the younger generations, whose unemployment is somewhere north of 22%. Focus on students, on tech-savvy professionals. There is a way to circumvent the CCP censors. With proper funding, the CIA, NSA, and military intelligence can work with civilian big tech and even the Space Force to find a way through to the millions of Chinese who want change. But this will be expensive and won't happen overnight, so we better get going on it. Meanwhile, the U.S. military must become stronger than ever. The CCP won't take this lying down. Our strength must be so great that it is crystal clear to the CCP that they have zero options within the military realm. Then comes the economic strike that will crash the wavering Chinese economy. Yes, their economy is interconnected with the world to a much greater extent than, say, the Soviets were. And yes, the world economy could suffer from this. But, I th but you know, decoupling is already happening. And think of how much stronger the entire economy would be if 1 billion Chinese were allowed to create and operate within a truly free market. Truly, Xi Jinping is depriving the world of China's true economic power, something that would probably help everybody. We must view this as an effort to free the Chinese people from tyranny and evil. We must also recognize that this is the only way to topple the CCP from power and stop the CCP from invading Taiwan and starting a world war. Our economic strike must be swift, far quicker than the strike on Russia last year. Along with everything included in that, there must be immediate and massive tariffs on Chinese exports, and we need to continue and ratchet up export controls on sensitive technology and other key products that the CCP needs. Being that we are China's largest trading partner, the damage will be significant, even without our allies. If we simultaneously impose sanctions and seize all assets of CCP members and their relatives and related entities, there will be an uprising that drives the CCP from power within, I think, about six months. Will the CCP try to paint us as aggressors? Well, yes. Would we be essentially starting a trade war with them? Yeah. But we must weather the storm because this is our one and maybe only chance to take down the CCP and prevent a catastrophic invasion of Taiwan and world war. So you might be thinking, what if the CCP in its desperation before it falls from power starts a hot war in response to our economic warfare? Well, that's why our military must be much stronger than theirs. The CP CCP must see us attack, see attacking us as suicide. But even in that case, there's still a chance they could do it, possibly to take us down with them. But the other option is just to sit idly by, as we are doing now, and watch the CCP manage the country's economic decline, and then, having come through the other side, gain strength until they are ready to realize their goals, all of which will involve some sort of military action against Taiwan and against us. So it is clear that we must act to topple the CCP now. Communist China will act to destroy our ability to fight when they can. That's a certainty. 
We must deal with them now while victory is almost a certainty and toppling the CCP through a trade, propaganda, and financial war while encouraging the Chinese people to rise up, that carries the least risk. And once their economies goes, the CCP will go right along with it. That's the nature of authoritarian regimes. They stand on the necks of their people so long that once given the chance, the people rise up. Deep down inside, the Chinese people want what everyone wants, freedom. The CCP has taken that from the Chinese people. The unspoken bargain was always that the CCP would give the people economic security and prosperity in exchange for some loss of political freedom. But now it's becoming clear to the Chinese people that the CCP has robbed them of both freedom and prosperity. Given a real chance, they will rise up, especially if we are helping them and encouraging them along the way. Will a trade, informational, and financial war crash the CCP economy? Most likely. Will the CCP fall after the economy crashes? Almost certainly. Is any of this 100% certain? Well, no, nothing is ever 100% certain, but it's our best chance to rid the planet of the CCP, easily one of the most evil, destructive regimes to ever have existed. We must take this chance. All we need is a strong leader to do it. And I think we all agree on this one thing. Biden is not that leader. If you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, like the video. If you're listening to the audio podcast, give us a five-star rating. Doing each of those things helps us tremendously. Now on to behind the headlines. First up today, I'm sure many of you have heard the story of a 12-year-old student being taken out of class for having the Gadsden flag, that is the Don't Tread on Me flag, on his backpack. This was a school in Colorado Springs, which has now apparently gone full-blown communist. Credit to the mother and the young man, though, they stood their ground. You see, a school administrator told them that the Gadsden flag had ties to slavery. Neither the mother nor the boy hesitated and correctly informed this so-called educator that the Gadsden flag has absolutely nothing to do with slavery, and that's the truth. Interestingly enough, the boy then took a picture by a car parked in the school's parking lot that had numerous stickers emblazoned on the car's back end. We've all seen cars like this, right? Were the stickers pro-Republican, pro-America? No. It was a bunch of far-left propaganda. Maybe the car was uh, that of a student or a parent, but my guess is it's one of the staff of the school whose car dons those explicitly far-left bumper stickers. Pointing out hypocrisy on the left has become tiring, you know, but we still have to do it. For one thing, Republican leadership often points to the left's hypocrisy, but then they don't go beyond just commenting on it. Real action rarely follows. Second, it becomes some, somewhat tiring because the left is necessarily hypocritical. That's just kind of the nature of the left. They have to be. So, for example, they care about bodily autonomy until it comes to coercing you to take a vaccine that you don't want to get. They're all for free speech until it's speech that they don't like, which then becomes hate speech. The economy is tough right now. We all know that. Americans across the country are struggling to make ends meet. And the state of most public schools is very, very poor. They're largely leftist indoctrination centers. Homeschool and private Christian schools are booming, but those aren't options everyone can afford right now. But this fight, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We can't expect things to change automatically overnight. So we must continue pointing out what is actually going on in our schools. And we need to make sure all Americans can plainly see what the radical left and the Democratic Party truly are. They are anti-American. They're trying to teach anti-American things in our schools. They're trying to turn our kids against their own country. Yes, perhaps as many as 15 or maybe 20% of Americans are on the far left, but the vast majority of Americans, they lean conservative. And the vast majority of Americans love our country. They value liberty. They respect free speech and the rule of law. And that's the winning coalition that can and will ultimately defeat the radical left. So God bless that young man and his mom. Stay strong, and if school administrators or other government actors try to violate your First Amendment rights, you be sure to tell them, don't tread on me. All right, second up here. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz recently made a very big announcement. He announced that he is running for president at some point in the future. Um, did you miss that headline? Sometimes you got to read between the lines a little bit. He didn't quite say that, but he might as well have said that. You see, 
You may have seen him on Chuck Todd's Meet the Press recently. In his most recent interview, Walls touched on a few different issues, and he delivered one particularly ridiculous line. He said that Joe Biden has been one of the most effective, highly effective, highly effective presidents we have ever seen. Now, I understand rooting for your team when you're down, but my goodness, that's so ridiculous, I'm not sure how he kept a straight face. That sentence only makes sense if you squint while you're reading it, don't know what effective means, or maybe you were just born during the Biden administration, which would technically make the sentence true. Or perhaps he means that the President Biden has been very effective, highly effective at undermining American prosperity and our strength on the world stage. He's definitely been highly effective at that. Regardless, Governor Tim Walz has been on a media circuit recently, and reports of him meeting Democrat donors in D.C. have raised eyebrows. He wants to run for president in the event Joe Biden drops out of the race. Walls is now a two-term governor of a Midwest state and has all the radical left-wing credentials a Democrat needs to run nationally. Yep, he's as kooky as Newsom, and he's about as likable as Kamala Harris, but he gets to wear a flannel jacket and, 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 and you know, like a, an NRA hat and pretend like he's a blue-collar guy who has common sense. Of course, we know better. As of today, it looks like Democrats will stick with Joe Biden, which is great for us, of course. Joe has an awful record, doesn't know where he is 99% of the time, can't form a sentence, and makes unforced errors more often than the Oakland Athletics. Newsom, Walls, and other Democrat hopefuls seem to be half-heartedly rooting for Biden, likely hoping he would just ride off into the sunset and retire, but Biden is a queer politician who can't imagine life outside of Washington. He won't give up his position, even if he's not currently making any decisions by himself. He likes the chair, and the food in the West Wing isn't so bad, so he's going to stay. But I'm not so sure that the powerful people on the far left that pulls the strings of his administrations will let him stay. So keep an eye on those vultures, Walls and Newsom. They are good politicians, which is not a compliment. They're ambitious, and they fight for all the wrong things. And that makes them the ideal candidates for the National Democratic Party. All right, third and finally today. A few days ago, CNN ran a story under a headline that read, Two Ugandan men may face death penalty after aggravated homosexuality charge. The, they, they tweeted this out on, on Twitter as well, and now called X. The story's first paragraph then explained that two men in Uganda are facing separate charges of aggravated homosexuality, an offense punishable by death under the country's controversial new anti-gay laws. And that's a quote. You see, recent legislative changes in Uganda drew worldwide coverage, including a lot of criticism from many pro-LGBTQIA++ whatever groups condemning the country for being anti-LGBTQ, etc., just a quick reading of that headline from CNN, and, or the tweet from CNN as well, and you might assume that two people were being unjustly jailed, facing execution just for their professed sexual orientation. But on X, formerly known as Twitter, they added important reader context to the CNN headline. You see, one of the men was charged with sex with a child aged 12 of the same sex, and the other man was charged, quote, performed, uh, who was charged, quote, performed unlawful sexual intercourse with one man uh, aged 41 with a disability. Now, that's a little bit different than the original headline, isn't it? It's a lot different. CNN is an awful leftist organization, and it's, world, it's a worldwide scourge because CNN has a worldwide reach. A lot of people in other countries use, use CNN to get informed about American politics, but they just end up being misinformed. The same tactics CNN uses to deceive American audiences are used to influence worldwide sentiment as well. Take the trans issue. The trans activist crowd, and the left more broadly, they paint the issue as one of a dominant majority bullying trans kids and adults who are a vulnerable minority. They paint it as if we conservatives are bullying people who can't defend themselves. Well, that's beyond absurd, and it's patently false, of course. What's the reality? Well, first, there is no such thing as trans, per se. A person who identifies as trans is still a biological male or a biological female. They are simply confused or deluded about their actual sex. Second, the so-called trans issue is being used for political purposes. 
the radical left has created a new victim class, and they are trying to use it to defame conservatives and defame traditional values in the hopes of confusing kids and undermining morality, tearing kids away from parents, undermining the family, winning political power, and tearing America apart at the seams so they can replace it with a godless socialist dystopia. One recent trend is quite interesting. Enraged parents have been reading LGBT-themed books from public school libraries at school board meetings. Oftentimes, the school board will stop the parent from reading the book because the content is completely inappropriate for any audience, let alone an audience that includes children. If it's not appropriate for adults to read from a book at a public meeting, is it really appropriate to have that book in a school library where kids check out books? Obviously not. So finally, the tide is turning against the trans and LGBTQIA+, plus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, agenda. The radical left moved too fast, too far, and too soon, and Americans are beginning to see through their agenda. They are beginning to see what this has always been all about power. Traditional values are making are coming back in style because a just, moral, and safe society can live by no other values but the traditional ones. It is time to stand up for social conservatism and show people why our arguments are better. Society needs order. Freedom, ordered liberty, needs rules. Society needs to know what right and wrong are. It's up to us to make the case for sanity. Well, that's all for today's show. If you like the content that we were providing, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, like the video, drop a comment into the comment section. Doing each of those things helps us tremendously. And one more thing, the CCP must be destroyed.